welcome to the podcast for people turning the great American RV adventure into stressless camping. We're glad you joined our weekly adventure. Now let's gather around the campfire with our hosts, Peggy and Tony Barthel. Welcome to the the campfire. Yes, indeed. Good to have you back here. You know, it's amazing. You, You listen to the intro and outro. It is so cool. That Larry just comes with us everywhere we go. Isn't it? He's I like such having a great him around. Guy. I do. He's awesome. Yeah. I love Larry. I love Larry too. Tony got to go RV shopping without me yeah. this week. Now, don't get excited because it wasn't RV for us, but he was able to take our friend Kelly RV shopping. She's a young lady who wants to full time in her yep. RV. And with her, with them, went Kelly's mom, Beverly, who is a camper and has renovated more than one vintage yeah, RV. Multiple. Multiple She's the vintage one, RVs. In fact, she is so into uh, restoring these vintage RVs, she started the... Aristocrats Anonymous. Yeah. That's so right. So there you go. So you can check them out on Facebook. And also with them went their friend, Stacy, who is a veteran camper and camps in a fifth wheel uh, with her husband or on short solo trips, she has a truck camper. Yeah. All three of them apparently were shopping. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they're all looking. But Tony, what was that experience like to see three people looking for kind of different things? Well, first, one of the more interesting things is just the level of experience. Stacy has modified the heck out of her fifth wheel. Stacy and her husband have modified the heck out of their fifth wheel such that they've got fishing poles and they uh, they have really done a good job of, of personalizing it for themselves. And Bevy, of course, has rebuilt trailers, I mean, from the ground up. Uh, so the those two, Bev and Stacy, are extremely experienced RVers. And Kelly is not even though she has towed a trailer and she has camped multiple times with bev she is still sort of new because she has not really immersed herself completely in the rv world and she hasn't owned her own rv in the past i think bevy made her i think she and bev worked on a vintage trailer I remember that Uh, but i think it's fairly simple in other words it doesn't have a black tank and it I may not even have a water system. It's a pretty... So it's kind of like when we had our box trailer. <laughs> we threw well, some cots in there and went camping. <laughs> well, I think it's probably one step above that. Right. But yeah, basically that. And it was just interesting to see, because we went to two dealerships, A, how the dealerships behaved so differently in terms of, one, the salesman went with us, and, and of course, that was at the place I used to work, so he's also a friend of mine. Right. Um, and was just a fountain of knowledge. Very, uh, He did a super job with answering questions and providing information. I was very impressed. And the other one, the salesman said, well, all the fifth wheels are back there. Just go have a look. Oh, okay. Well- Thanks. So, yeah, and that was that was cool. Very different approach, and I, I wouldn't fault either way. And I think a lot of that depends on the customer themselves, you know, what they want. Do they want someone going with them? But anyway. Wait, it did was, that second dealer know that you have been an RV dealer and could answer her questions? You know, I don't know. Okay. And I, I suspected so mm-hmm. because that dealer was two doors down from where I worked. So they probably knew you. Yeah, they probably were <laughs> like, what the heck's Tony doing here? But And bringing this entourage of people with him. But anyway, uh, it was interesting just to see the perspective of a new RVer and the things that that person saw, Kelly saw, and also... Kelly is a young person. She is, I don't know, she's in her 20s. I know that. And her take on the interiors of the RVs. Right. Basically, a short summary is she disliked them. Oh, interesting. I mean, she was asking about things like removing valances and changing colors and, and carpeting and things that were aesthetics that I agree. They're, they're things I still think the RV industry needs to work on. Things that we've been talking about for years and, and a lot of people in the 
in our side of the industry have and can't seem to get it through to those manufacturers. Yeah, it's funny because here's Kelly, who is in the market for and will buy a nice fifth wheel trailer. She is That's what she's decided. She wants a fifth wheel. She wants a, a fairly large one because she's going to be full-timing in it. And just none of them appealed to her from an aesthetic standpoint. And we looked at high-end brands, mid-level brands. We looked at just a number of brands and the decor just disturbed her. And I'm not not really surprised. I mean, it's it's so universal. So one of the things, you know, Janine Pettit has her our pod raffle and by the way if you're listening oh, to yeah. this before valentine's day you can still buy tickets get your tickets yeah don't don't forget that but if you look at what she has done with that our pod it's she's basically transformed it completely without altering the structure so i think the rv industry should really look at the design aesthetic and have options available for people who don't like ugly brown stuff. <laughs> and, you know, um, when we went camping with Janine, the Lance campers had blue upholstery. And it was just, for me, it was like, wow, Yay, cool. not brown. Oh, my gosh, it's <laughs> not brown. And that was just so cool. And so in our trailer, a Rockwood Mini Light, the valances are such that they're Velcroed on like this structure. Yep. And Peggy has taken that and completely redone it. So now it's vintage cars on there instead of the brown and it's it's red cloth I guess with pictures. And it was of, really easy to to modify those valances and and velcro on something that I like that we liked better than the brown. Right. And so maybe if the RV industry wants to continue with the brown Perhaps they should make it so it's really easy to modify, like those valances. Right. I mean, Velcroed on cloth, heck, you know, anybody who has some skills with a sewing machine can make it a lot different. Yeah, or some fabric glue. Yeah. I mean, I think I could have probably managed to do it without a sewing machine, but. Yeah, that was, and that was one of Kelly's first comments. Can I take those valances off? They're ugly. And yeah, you can. Yeah. But. It bothered her that she's buying something that I would consider moderately high end, and yet the and brand first, new. She's going to want to yeah, start making changes. Already wanting to throw things away that came with <laughs> it. And truth is, you know, you go buy a new house and you're going to change things, right? I mean, well, sure. So it would really be, I think, a strong selling point in the RV industry to make interiors that are more easily adapted to the tastes of individuals. Right. And that's basically the, any of us who can see color. <laughs> um, brown ain't it. Nope. Unless you're delivering packages in your RV, and then you <laughs> want to know what brown can do for you. That's right. I don't think that's their slogan anymore. Oh, well. I bet, I bet most people know what you're talking about, though. We've all heard the slogan. <laughs> anyway, that was my take. It was interesting to go with somebody who was in their 20s and who is getting into the lifestyle and to see the experience. And I was very impressed with how professionally these ladies were treated by the dealers. Um, and that's a kudos to, I, I used to work at Redwood Empire RVs and I really think they run a great operation there. And then even next door, I thought they were treated professionally and that was, it was just encouraging to see. That was my experience. And I think Kelly did pick a front living room fifth wheel. I, oh, I, fun. Yeah. It's, oh, it was so cool. And that front living room fifth wheel is a neat floor plan. I can't wait to visit her when yeah. she's full time and yeah well that may be sooner rather than later we'll, we'll see we'll see this week i had the good fortune of interviewing a guy who has literally written the book on rv electricity and uh, we have that interview coming up shortly and i hopefully you're all charged up about it ah. i know it's an electrifying topic oh boy here yeah. we go I can think of more, but I won't. Oh, don't bother. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> here is Mike Sokol from RV Electricity. All right. We are here at the campfire, and I have been fortunate enough to talk to Mike Sokol, who is an 
recognized RV electricity expert, and he speaks to groups all over the country. He has some great engagements coming up, and you'll definitely want to follow him. He has written the book, literally, on RV electrical safety called RV Electrical Safety and publishes a number of websites, including RV Travel. And if you ever want to look at an incredible library of great information, that is a place to go. So, Mike, welcome. Thanks, Tony. Thank you very much. I uh, There are so many questions, and we get a lot of them about RV electricity. And we tried to do sort of the basics of RV electricity a while back. But then people said, well, I have more questions about RV electricity. Let's start out with, do I need an RV surge suppressor? I'm a firm believer that you do. And first, let me back up. I, I have a number of people that say, you know, I've, I've been camping for 20, 30 years, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I've never needed one before. Why do I need one now? And and there's, there's two reasons why you need them now. And then I'll explain a little bit more about what they do. But the first one is that that campgrounds have been inundated with the amount of power that all RVs use and need. So um, I had somebody send me some overhead pictures of a campground in the late 70s. There were no rooftop air conditioners at all in the 70s on RVs. And you look at them now, he he sent a flyby of the same campground, you know, um, that was done this summer. And virtually every single RV has one, two, or three air conditioners. Um, and so the amount of power that the campgrounds have to provide has at least tripled or more in some cases, 10 times as much as they were originally designed for. So this puts tremendous stress on the systems and causes all kinds of sagging voltages and open neutrals and all kinds of dangerous things. That's the one reason. The other reason is that RVs now are basically smart houses, in terms of all the electronics they have in them. You know, think back 20 or 30 years ago, you had very little, you know, electronics in any RV. In fact, I remember camping back in the 70s, and the only electrical thing we ever had was a battery-powered, you know, radio set. Right. <laughs> now you have every kind of converters, inverters, home theater systems. You know, you've got these, these smart monitoring systems to monitor your wastewaters and all of these things are all computerized and computers do not like voltage surges and spikes and such. So that's the two main reasons. Now, surge protectors come in at least two basic flavors. One would be what I call kind of the introductory or basic surge protector. And what they are is kind of a larger version of the surge strip that you might buy to protect your computer or whatever that you might pay 20 bucks for, you know, on a, one of the big box stores. But um, it can't really shut off in case you have too high a voltage or low a voltage or open ground or anything. All it does is monitors it or, or it just prevents these voltage spikes from coming through. And many times it'll monitor it with a little set of lights, you know, that just says open ground or open neutral or whatever, but it, it can't shut you off. The more and, and those are inexpensive. They're generally less than a hundred dollars. Many of them are seventy-five dollars or so. Um, the more complicated ones are what they call an EMS or electrical management system, and they not only have the spike, the surge protection against nearby lightning strikes and that kind of things. It it also includes monitoring and a cutoff relay. So if the voltage gets too high or gets too low or reverses polarity or the ground opens up or the neutral opens up, it will just shut the power off to your RV and thus protect all of your wiring and your your expensive refrigerator, your expensive microwave, your expensive inverter. Uh, you notice the expensive theme yes, runs through everything, yeah. right? Yeah, that's- so that's why I, I recommend an EMS, an advanced one. Unfortunately, you you got to pay for that. So many of those are three to four hundred dollars, but I think well worth it when you consider not only the electrical damage that you can do, you lose all the time with your RV. Uh, I just had someone that had an electrical problem. Their RV was out of service for almost a whole year. Holy cow. before the dealer finally figured out what was going on with them and and they they hired me to go sort this out work with the manufacturer and then and had towed towed the thing 700 miles so i would go look at it for me to figure it out well and and that 
surprisingly, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, uh, I worked at a dealership and I did both sales and warranties. And when our tech would want schematics of these RVs, the manufacturers that we dealt with would say, well, well we don't have any. And it's, they it's, do not. it's they do amazing not. And so to me. The, right. And I know why. I've been studying all of this for a little while. So right. if you go to a car manufacturer, let's say you go buy a Ford Pinto. I don't care what. You buy anything <laughs> that you like. He's, he's laughing at me because you probably had a Ford Pinto when you were younger, didn't you? No, but uh, but I, I had Corvairs. I could have said a Gremlin. But, but <laughs> any, any, anything that's made by a manufacturer, what they're going to do is they're going to make hundreds of thousands of that vehicle that are identical, sometimes millions. So they will go create a wiring harness that is exactly the same in every single one. And it will be color coded. Exactly. It will have the same pin number. Exactly. It will be exactly the same length. It will be exactly the same thing. You can go get a schematic for your Chevette or whatever you got. Um, perhaps a you know, for perhaps a stingray, who knows? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's more like there it, right? Corvette. The better, uh, and it will it will show you exactly the diagram. You can it'll have test points and everything. RVs are not built that way. RVs, what they do is they give some technicians a bunch of spools of wire, and they just say run this stuff from here to there. And if they run out one color, they substitute a different color. And every technician may run it a little bit differently, or I should say, builder will run it a little bit differently. And when they get to the end of it, if it works, well, then it's good enough. But many of them don't really have full schematics. These guys kind of wire them up because everybody knows this is the pin for the brake, you know, light or whatever. But it doesn't show up in a real schematic that you can get. It's the problem. They've got their little build diagrams when they build them. But it's, it's very difficult to get one unless you're getting like a Class A motorhome. And some of them I've seen, they really have quite complete schematics. But that's because those things are built like a like a regular vehicle, whereas trailers, especially fifth wheels, they're just not. I mean, they're they just kind of build them. They're almost built one at a time, and every single one is built individually. And if there's the, if there's too much wire, they just kind of stuff it down inside of the walls. We, just how they're built. We had that where they they had zip tied some wires on one of these travel trailers. And when we went to pull out the TV, cause it was on one of those articulating arms and you could pull right. it out so you could move the TV. It stopped and yanked the wires out of the control panel because they had zip tied it so tightly and never right. bothered to, to test it. So it's a, it's right. a little and, and scary. We, <laughs> we, we, we see this all the time and th these are how they're built. The problem is if you would build them, they, they really don't have the same amount of, of uh, numbers that they build in the RV industry as they do in the, in the automotive industry. Um, and so consequently they don't have the ability just to kept replicate the same thing over and over and over again. And so you're kind of at the mercies of the individuality of your particular RV. Each one of those that rolls down the line, especially travel trailers, they're custom handmade the, the, pieces. But they're custom handmade pieces and you know and it just depends on the the worker, the day, all of all of those things. And you know, and sometimes you get a really good one and sometimes you get a really bad one. Um, but I, but you know, back to my swinging, back to my original point. If you have an electrical failure, failure especially, it could take them weeks, months to figure this out. Yeah, it, 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 uh, and it just does. And you're paying a hundred dollars an hour while they're doing it, or more, or more. Yeah, a lot of places I know are 140 bucks an hour. You know, and I'm now beginning to offer classes, and I'm teaching um, RV technicians and electricians uh, troubleshooting techniques. Um, and it, and so a lot of the basic things that I'm showing them are new to them. Now, admittedly, a number of the techniques that I've come up with are not in any textbooks. I've just, I derive test techniques. I've, I've done this forever in my whole professional career is to come up with unique ways to figure out what, why things are bad or wrong or incorrect. You know, I've been in contact with the RV industry for the last decades to try to convince them that I can show technicians and manufacturers better ways to troubleshoot systems because that's, that is, in fact, my expertise.
And we're, we're very fortunate here at Stressless Camping in that we have spoken to Roger Ford about RV refrigerators who has done similar things in that field and now you. And we, we right. seem to get some of the better people in this industry. And, and it's very cool. I'm very pleased to have you take the time and speak with me today. Oh, um, you're most welcome. The good thing is most of these trailers or RVs are okay and a really good this is why another point is shop your dealer first a great pdi will hopefully find these issues and resolve them before you ever take delivery of that that's true but if they're rushing you through the pre-delivery inspection and, sh and showing you how it all works that should be a real red flag yeah. as to what's going on you really want to know everything is correct and don't believe that we'll just fix it later kind of a thing that's where you get into trouble, I think. I completely agree. And and I was very proud of the place that I worked in that I thought we had a great tech who was very thorough. And so shop your tech and your dealership first because that can make the difference between your RV sitting it for a year and uh, and you enjoying all those trips with it. But That is correct. Anyway, so uh, RV electricity, you... Let's talk a little bit of boondocking because I think we get a fair number of boondockers uh, who listen to this. And I've seen a trend to residential grade refrigerators. Can you really boondock and have one of those? It well, uh, I just ha so happen to be doing some testing on this whole concept right now. Um, and and here's the problem: if you just take a refrigerator like you would find on the floor of Best Buy or any of the other places that you'd like and stick it in there. Home refrigerators really use an exceptionally large amount of power compared to what you've got. In fact, some of them, for instance, my own home refrigerator here has got extra heating elements in the door to kind of keep the gasket frost free and it's got mm -hmm. defrosting cycles and all kinds of things that are just a power hog. You don't care about it in your home. You really, really care about it if you're on batteries. Um, so one of the things that I've looked at is rather than a standard compressor refrigerator, which could you could require, my rough guesses right now, are at least four to 600 watts worth of solar panels to kind of keep going wow. in many cases. Um, I've been doing some experiments with what's called a Danfoss uh, swing compressor refrigerator. So I have one right in my shop um, from a company, an Italian company called Vitra Frigo. And this is a marine grade refrigerator, seven cubic feet, so pretty big. My numbers right now, this thing, when it's running, draws less than 60 watts. Wow, that's As good. opposed to a couple 300 watts for a standard residential compressor refrigerator. And what my, my initial guess is right now are is that you could run this thing forever off of 200 watts worth of solar panels, uh, even when you're in a, um, a low sun situation, you know, towards through the winter. But again, more experiments to be done. But that this is a purpose-built refrigerator that looks like a residential refrigerator. Um, but it runs strictly off of 12 volts DC. It does not need an inverter. Um, and it doesn't have the huge startup currents that you have with a regular compressor style, a rotary compressor style refrigerator. Although it is what we call a, a Danfoss uh, swing compressor style. Um, whole different animal. Really, really interesting. Could be the key to boondocking if you want to have a full-size residential-style refrigerator as opposed to going and getting one from a big-box store. And I believe that company is pretty popular in Europe in RVs. It's huge. It's huge. And the, the thing that's interesting, with the, and, and I've done a number of things with other marine-grade components, you, you know, I, I know that people are very, very sensitive to spending money. However, going and getting the cheapest dorm room grade refrigerator that you know that you think is going to survive bouncing around on the road is not is not money well spent. They're not going to survive 
that kind of stuff. Marine grade units are built to withstand the pounding of the waves and salt water in the air and all those other kind of things. Well, and Um, that's something we found with those residential refrigerators. A lot of the service centers where you'd go, you know, let's say you have a, a refrigerator at home and you have an issue, so you call the R- the refrigerator guy, and he will not work on them in RVs. And so right. taking them out, we have actually we had actually had to remove an entire slide room to get one of those things yes. out because they're bigger than they're the door. They're really difficult to get out. A number of the refrigerator manufacturers have said they've written into their warranties that they're voided if they're installed in an RV. Yeah, it's so. So I, I, you know, and I know everybody wants these. However, it's caveat emptor. You know, you've got to beware that you may not be able to get service because you're right. Service RVs technicians are not going to want to work on them, and any kind of a home, you know, fix it guy is not going to work on that refrigerator in your RV. So now you're kind of like a man without a country. Yeah. Uh, when that happens, it's just, it's, I, I, I think they're ill-advised that they really didn't think it through and everybody just wants them. So they said, we're going to just slap them in there and there's issues. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, be, be careful using a uh, residential refrigerator there. They're really not designed for that environment and they vent heat into the coach. Whereas, uh, RV gas refrigerators vents the heat outside the coach. That is true. And then there's one other issue, too, that most people are not aware of. And this has to do with the style of inverter that they run on them. So are you familiar with the, the difference between a pure sine wave inverter and a modified uh, step sine wave inverter? Well, I am, but our audience may not be. So let's, let's, let's give them a little thing. Okay, so the, the, a stepped wave, so if you've ever looked at a, a sine wave or a, uh, you know, of the 60 hertz um, power, it looks like it's perfectly smooth. Uh, but what happens in what we call a modified or a stepped one, it looks like almost like, um, like little staircases going up and down. And those staircases... Off, create all kinds of extra harmonics in the electrical power. So, you know, you may not, think, but, and you might even hear that. You, you've heard that if you have a, um, an old style light bulb on a, on, a, on a dimmer. And as you turn the dimmer up and down, you can actually hear the filaments buzzing yeah. inside of the old light bulbs, right? Well, imagine if you have a stepped modified um, sine wave inverter running your refrigerator rather than the pure sine wave one. Um, the stepped one will now cause the windings in your compressor to vibrate. And what one of the or two of the manufacturers have told me is that vibration will cause the insulation in the compressor wiring to wear itself out just from rubbing on each other oh, and short out. And they won't cover it. Now, the difference, of course, between putting in a pure sine inverter and a stepped one is one of cost. So a pure sine wave inverter can cost 50% to 100% more than a, the cheap modified you know, stepped inverter. So guess which ones people slap in? They slap in the cheapest ones. And maybe that refrigerator is going to run perfectly fine for a couple of years, but maybe at the end of those couple, three years, maybe now your compressor motor burns out and you don't know why. And it could be because you were running on that buzzy, um, modified stepped um, inverter. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's it, it's amazing. Uh, but, and, yeah, and, and the manufacturers told me that a refrigerator manufacturer told me said we're doing studies on this. We're, we think this is what's happening. And I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, that's that's not good. Well, fortunately, if you buy a complete RV. And it has the gas absorption, the typical refrigerator that runs on propane or electricity. You should be fine. They should have all those components matched well. They, they, they will be matched, um, except, of course, what happens is you, you have issues with the RV having to be very level, right, within, what, three degrees of level. Right. Uh-huh. You know, you can have problems. Um, and, you know, people now want huge residential refrigerators. I mean, they want big boys in yeah. their in their RVs. Um, and I'm not going to get into the philosophy of, if this, is this camping or, or not? But the key <laughs> here is people are demanding this. 
you know, and, and, you know, and a manufacturer is going to try to give people what they demand. Um, but sometimes what happens is you get a little ahead of the curve and you don't think through all of the backlash that can occur from that. Um, I, I am a, what I call a child of failure. I mean, I'm a student of failure. I study failed things all the time. And I've done this ever since I was a small child, all the way up through my professional career. When things go blow up and go really bad, they bring me in to go figure out what's going on. So I'm paranoid as I'll get out when I see things as I go, that's another failure point. Oop, that's another failure point. <laughs> um, and, and, and sometimes I'm not right. Okay. But a lot of times I am right. And so this is what we've got to look at is, you know, it would be far better to think these things through up front um, rather than the wait till you've got thousands of units out there that you've got to do really, really expensive recalls on. Yeah. Recalls are, are very expensive. It's much cheaper to have somebody on the line fix something while the trailer's yes. all still half finished than to have somebody paid to disassemble something and then fix it at $100 an hour. Right. Exactly right. And then, of course, it has to do with you've got to bring it back to uh, your dealer and they may be hundreds of miles away. So, yeah, you know, they may you have, as a customer have got to deliver it back there. And they may have um, uh, months of backlog, too. or They can months. have months of backlog. They, they really do. So it, it's, it's a real the, the repairs of that, especially as relate to electrical items, is a real problem in many cases. Mm, yeah. All right, let, let's talk about um, something that may seem simple, but but isn't, I don't think. I have my RV sitting in my driveway, and I want to charge the battery. Can I just plug it into my regular household plug? Sort of, kind of. <laughs> but you have to be careful. But you got to be careful. In, in all of these cases, you have to be careful. So, so the key here is, um, you know, the... You can use lighter gauge wiring that is smaller extension cords rather than the big, heavy 50 amper one. But you have to protect that with the appropriate size circuit breaker. And um, to be code to be code compliant, what you plug into in your say your garage or garage or the side of your house needs to have GFCI protection. Um, but many cases they don't. In many cases, you may have improper grounds, um, um, and and that's where you get into trouble. They they think because it doesn't, you need much power, and you're using a skinny little extension cord that you still don't have to be careful. Um, what I've seen people do, in fact, I've recommended this. You can get an adapter, kind of a dog bone adapter that'll hang right on the side of your RV. That'll be like a you know the twist lock inlet right. you know cord set, but it's only be like two feet long and it'll be like a little right angle one kind of hanging down and it'll have a regular 15 amp uh, Edison male plug on it. Um, then all you've got to do is, you know, run a, a 50 foot, you know, 12 gauge extension cord over to that um, and then plug that into your house. And why I say 12 gauge is because it's still possible. You could be pulling 20 amperes of current through that. Yeah, if you do not want to go get the cheap little 18 gauge that's rated for 10 amperes of current. And that's where people get into trouble. They think, oh, I can use any skinny extension cord. You really need to use an extension cord that's rated for whatever circuit breaker capacity you have on that outlet in your house. Right. And another factor is the longer the cord the more loss there is. So if you have that, you're like, oh, I have a 200 foot of extension cord. Ooh, it better be a good one. Right. And, and th right. Heavier cords have less loss. And most people don't understand that when you look at, um, you know, the, even if any of you guys have ever looked at the code books, which most readers will not have, but there will be ratings for wiring that says, okay, I, I need 12 gauge of wire for 20 amperes of current. That's for a hundred feet total. The entire length of this, including whatever's inside of your house. So this is where you get into trouble and you notice, wow, I've only got a hundred volts over on this side over here. You know, how can that be? So heavier extension cords are always better, but the, but the real danger 
of using a very light extension cord, light gauge one, is the fact that you can overheat it to the point where it'll melt and catch on fire, and you will never trip a circuit breaker oh, until after the fire starts. Right. So I guess sort of a rule of thumb is the shorter and fatter the extension cord, the better you are. The better you are. Absolutely, absolutely the better you are. I have a video that I made a few years ago. It, I basically overloaded an extension cord, 100% overload. And I think it was rated for 14 amperes, and I was driving 30 amperes through it, or so 20, 30 amperes. Um, and I did this all very calculated, you know, and I, and I was doing, let's say, um, infrared thermometer so I could kind of monitor it. And within five minutes, this thing was almost to the boiling point of water. Wow. So the thing that's interesting, and I did not not have a chance to do it this fall, but I'm probably going to do this in the spring. My local fire company here has offered to let me set up and do a video of overheating extension cords with electric space heaters. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Oh, yeah, those things. Um, And they're going to let me do it until it catches on fire. Wow, that's um, in, in, in their back lot, and they're going to have a fire truck behind it with the with the fire guys with the turnout coats. They're going to run in with the fire extinguishers. It'll be all very exciting, you know that kind of stuff. Wow, I'd um, let, let me the, know when that the, is available because I'd like I'll share the heck out of that video. That'll be that'll be that'll be fun. But the the key here is that you know that we have so many fires that are caused by space heaters. You know this continual uh, draw, and where people get into trouble is they use skin, skinny extension cords on things that draw a lot of power. So what you do not want to do is run a skinny extension cord to your RV and then go plug a space heater inside of your RV to keep the pipes from freezing. That right there is almost a guarantee that you're going to create a fire. Yeah, it's and it's so common at this time of year. It's really, really common, um, and I just um, I I can't remember the numbers, but I just I just posted something last week um, that said something like. Um, Forty-five percent of all household fires in the United States were caused by some kind of electrical overload, and that some huge percentage of, of deaths from home fires were, were in fact caused by space heaters, electric space heaters. They're very, very dangerous. You know, if you don't have everything exactly right, you're going to create a hazardous situation. Yeah, as I've always said, if you're changing temperature, you're pulling amps like crazy. You're pulling a lot of amps. You're pulling an awful lot of amps. So you'll have something that's drawing, you know, 13 to 15 amperes of current. Um, and the uh, the um, um, uh, if there's any oxidation, loose screws, too small wires, anything at all, people just really don't maintain their electrical gear. We all assume that you just plug it in and it works. And it will work for small amperage situations, charging your phones and that kind of such. But once you start doing things like running space heaters, everything has got to be exactly right. Or, again, you have overheating and meltdown situations. Yeah, and that, that's – so this that was – Great advice right there. Be be very careful with those things. And they're very common, but there is a heater. You know, people say, oh, it uses a lot of propane, the heater that's in the coach. But it's it may also prevent a lot of these issues, including fire. Right. And and for those of you who, who don't know, the way cords are measured, these, these wires basically, is the smaller the number, the thicker the cord. That is correct. So what you look a 14 gauge wire which is fairly thin is good for 15 amperes and then 12 gauge is good for 20 amps and then 10 gauge is good for 30 amps you see um and there's a few other derating things that happen in there but generally that's all holds true so you know the smaller the number the bigger the 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 bigger the wire and the more current that it can carry correct yeah and so that's why that cord that comes with your rv is Plenty thick and, and heavy and expensive. There's a lot of copper in there. There, there is a lot of copper. I, I get all kinds of information from the manufacturers. Uh, many of the many of the manufacturers of the you know the components that go into your RVs. You know, not necessarily the RV manufacturers themselves, but I've got them all on speed dial. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty. And their cool. engineers are like best friends. I mean, they'll call me up and they say, "What about this? And what about that?" You know, or they'll call me up and they say, hey, we just figured this out. We thought you should know about this. 
which I think is really, really cool to have that relationship with these uh, other engineers. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder how far we are in the weeds right now. <laughs> you and I are, are geeking out on RV electricity, and, and we don't have the uh, the good sense of, of Peggy here talking like a normal person well i shouldn't say that that that, oh, that came across you know, as we have answer. not gone we have not gone very far out at all no 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 we haven't even scratched the surface of crazy just yet you want oh you want to see you want to see crazy i started and i moderate the uh, facebook group rv electricity right and i've got a number of code geeks in there that Go down a rabbit hole like you would not believe. And I have to rein them in on occasion. Just drop a line and then just drag them out. I go, okay, guys, I think we've gone far enough. Yeah, um, oh, I'm in that but, group. But, but yeah, you, you see some of these get really nuts. Now, some oh, of them yeah. have the really good basic questions. But I, I love that group because there's some really, really smart people on there that pay a lot of attention. And, um, but it's not for the faint of heart. You know, all I'm saying is, is if just just look away. If all yeah. of a sudden you're going to be afraid of where they're going to the, in the depths of this stuff, just keep driving. Look away. Nothing to see here. Um, but if you but if you really want to know stuff, man, there's some some guys that are really really sharp. Yes, absolutely. There is a bigger presence of what they call drop-in lithium batteries. So it it looks like a regular RV battery, but these manufacturers are claiming you can just drop them in. And yet I have also, yeah, I've heard it doesn't that. Work that uh, well. it, it does not work that well. Okay. So, so here's, so here's the problem that the, the chargers require a completely different set of voltage and current charge charging curves. Unless your converter charger that you've got is, is adjustable so that it, it'll do lithium chemistry, then you're never going to get full charging of your lithium batteries. And then what people want to do is they expect them to be charged up from your tow vehicle. And your tow vehicle does not have a lithium battery setting on its alternator because it's charging a regular flooded cell battery. Right. So many times what you could do is uh, I've seen people burn up the alternators on their very expensive tow vehicles, you know, um, just because they have a wire that they've connected across to the, the, you know, the house batteries, which lithium or some other different chemistry. What you really need in that case is something that's called a DC to DC charger. Uh, Red Arc and a number of other companies make things like that. And that allows you to charge your lithium batteries from your tow vehicle while you're driving down the road. Hmm. So anytime you, you put in a lithium battery, you really have to look at its charging. And you also have to look at um, many of them are smart enough to avoid charging once they get down below about 30 degrees Fahrenheit. They, they just don't like to accept cold charges. Right. Usually the BMS or battery monitoring system is pretty aware of, of temperature, or at pretty least smart. in good ones it should be. It should, should ought to be, but people have just got to understand. And some of these will have, you know, they'll have uh, heating packs that go around the outside of them to warm the batteries up before they'll begin to accept the charge. And I think those are all those are all good things. We're not there yet where it's just a drop in and go kind of a thing there. You know, it, it's a little more complicated than that. However, you can't deny the fact that they're much lighter and you can discharge them, you know, way deeper than you can uh, a, a regular uh, lead acid battery. You know, lead acid batteries, you don't want to take down to much below 50 percent of their capacity all the time because you'll just shorten the lives drastically. Right. But, but lithium batteries, you could take down by 80%. You could take them down to 20%. You know, I just talked to uh, one of um, uh, the RV manu uh, battery on lithium iron battery manufacturers today, and they said, you could take ours down to zero, and it won't, they won't, hurt, it won't hurt themselves. They, they, they self-protect. Yeah, they claim that the advantage of lithium, of course, as you said, is weight, and also that you can discharge them much more deeply as you said down to zero in some cases so so they'll actually give you nearly twice the amount of watt hour capacity of an equivalent you know amp battery 
um, and plus many more charge discharge cycles than you would get out of a normal lead acid. Of course, everybody is, is worried about pricing and that kind of stuff. Um, that's always always a consideration. Um, but you know, if that means that you can stick two batteries in a place, and if, you know, you can get as much power as four, um, you know, regular flooded cell batteries in the same footprint um, that you might have you know, with, um, just two of the, uh, lithium iron. And I should note that the, the vast majority of these things are lithium iron phosphate. Yeah. Lipo. Um, iron <laughs> as opposed to ion. So they don't blow up and catch on fire. Like your little surfboard thingy hoverboards. Yeah. Were doing a couple of Christmases ago. Yeah. They've, they've really gotten the chemistry down to where it's safe and very effective. And so the other thing is the charger in that, may have come with your RV, I believe won't always effectively charge these and the battery indicator. Right. 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 And everything will be different. And that's the problem. They're not really a, just kind of a drop in and go. Um, now, you know, I, I, I do have, um, some new, um, you know, battery, I should just say a power center with a charger, um, from progressive dynamics. And it's got a setting right in there for lithium batteries. So and there, so many of the manufacturers, even though you may get your RV with a um, a regular flooded cell or AGM battery, there will be a, there could be a setting in there all, all, already for lithium, and if so, then you're good to go generally. Well, I think we have uh, we have done a good job of adding value to to people, learning more about extension cords and electricity and power and uh boy i I really appreciate your coming on and and speaking with us today oh you're most welcome hopefully we can stay in touch and do this again do it again and we'll talk about uh hot skin conditions yeah and why they're dangerous and ways to measure them yeah that that will be another good one so i i look forward to that and uh and until then, I wish you the very best and, and look for Mike at one of the seminars he's giving out there. We, we'll, uh, we'll have a link to his website and you'll, you'll definitely want to catch him. He, he is just a fountain of knowledge. Well, very good. Tony. Thank you so much for, uh, for the time on, the, on, on your podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. So what did, was that? little too into the weeds that was pretty deep into the weeds yeah we well the the problem is ladies and gentlemen i had absolutely no adult supervision with me you could tell it was just mike and i yeah next time he says i'm gonna do an interview without you i'm gonna nix that whole yeah i don't i don't remember (laughs) although honestly i'm sure some people really enjoyed that and understood it better than i did and (laughs) well it's the shocking truth oh god and it is important. It's important to, you know, maybe even if you didn't understand all of it, now you understand that it's a complicated thing and it's worth under, it's worth knowing that it's complicated even if you don't understand it. Well, one of my one of my big takeaways from that is hey, I'm glad we have an EMS, an electrical management system. Yep. Um just one of the things I really like the fact that we have one that's not built in and here's why. I like to go to a campsite and before I even back the trailer in, we'll go and plug that thing in. And if it shows an error with the electricity at that site, we immediately go back to the office and say, well, we can't use that site because whatever the condition is. And that's why I personally prefer the non-built-in EMSs. So there you go. There's another tip. But anyway, that's the shocking truth there. I think I already <laughs> oh boy, used that one, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Doggone okay, so it. so thinking of things that are not built in. You know, we in Quartzite last year, we bought a water filter system. That's, yes, we did. That's three canisters. There's a um, particle filter, and then there's a charcoal filter, and then there's a water softener. And we've been using that and we have talked about building it into the RV and making it kind of permanently in line in the water system. But I'm kind of glad that we haven't done that because we do take it out and use it when we're filling from an unknown source into our freshwater tank and we wouldn't be able to do that. 
And that, you know, we'd still filter, but it would be after it's in the tank instead of before it gets into the tank. And when we're when we're using city water, we put it in line so that it sits on the bumper and it's perfectly fine, not built in. So I think it's probably a good thing that we never got around to doing that. Right. Um, now this year we went to that same vendor and asked how long it should be before we <laughs> change our water filters. And they said every three months. Yeah. <laughs> Remember we went a year ago and bought this thing. So I'm using our defense that, we use our home water quite a bit, which is pretty good water, and uh, we are not full-timers. And maybe, you know, she's probably used to having full-timers, so that three months is probably a bit more important. But anyway, we did buy a new set of filters. We took the old ones out. We took some pictures of what they look like. We probably waited longer than we should have. Yeah, wait till you see the picture. <laughs> the filters start life white, and ours were brown. Yeah, so here's the tip of the week. Check your water filters. And have a water filter. Yeah. And now we have a backup particle filter, so we'll be able to change that sooner. Yes, we will. And But that three-stage filter has made, especially where the water is truly lousy, the three-stage filter has made a big difference. So, it has. Yep. So, Peggy, where are we going this week? We are going to Pismo Beach. Oh, yeah. This serendipity brought us there. We are coming back from... Quartzsite and Bismo Beach was kind of a, a good. We try to travel fewer than five hours if possible, sometimes as few as two or three, uh, sometimes six or seven, but not if we're really pushing to get somewhere. Yeah, we that we don't like doing that. We like traveling fewer hours, basically, right. two tanks of gas for us, right? <laughs> um, and it just happened, Pismo Beach was right on the way was sort of the right distance from where we were. And so we stopped there and Peggy found... It was called the Pismo State Beach North Beach Campground. And it was a terrific campground. It was after the staff had gone home and they have like a board there and it shows what's available and what's not. And so we look at what's available and we, we found a neat spot literally on the other side of the sand dunes from the ocean. Right. It was great. Uh, and it was just such an immaculate, beautiful campground. And It was $25. Yeah, it was 25 bucks a night. I mean, this was all dry camping, so there were no hookups at the individual sites, but there were water spigots every so many sites, mm -hmm. and there was a full dump station in the campground that's included with your camp fees. Right. And then they had shower houses and toilets that were immaculate. Yep. But the whole place was just, it was so nice. And the funny thing is, I mean, not to, you know, everybody has their own style of camping, but it was right next to what was called an RV resort, which was yeah. a really nice parking lot full of really large motorhomes for yep. the most part. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, Compared to this Pismo Beach State Campground, it was it was so much to me. This is more my style. There were actually trees and grass, and you could build a, a fire if you wanted to. We actually broke out our propane fire pit just because we had it. <laughs> yep. And there's picnic tables. The spots were big. I mean, it was it was so pleasant to be there that we extended our stay by a day because. We didn't want to. <laughs> right. We just wanted to stay and, and hang out a little bit longer. Yeah. And so then we find out that day we can walk to, because it's touching the campground, the Monarch Butterfly Preserve. Yeah, that was super cool. It was, I can't describe it. I mean, it was, well, I guess it's my job to describe it. <laughs> Try. It was, well, it was a stand of eucalyptus trees and thousands of monarch butterflies flying around and this is their i guess the end of their travels where they're mating yeah so it was basically a giant monarch butterfly orgy yeah <laughs> essentially my god but seriously it's it was so cool how many thousands of these butterflies are flying around some are landing on the ground just just everywhere these butterflies so, are. Do you remember why they were landing on the ground? That's where I guess they hook up. That before. was yeah, that's kind of the the dance floor. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> of the it's monarch like a world. Big, it's a big night hookup club. It's where club. The, the boys try to get the girls to go home with them. Right. And then they do when when you know when things are right. She's like, ooh. You've got a good job and, and some yeah. muscles and a Mercedes. And if she says yes, then they fly wow, off wow, together wow, and wow. and they actually um, do the rest of their stuff in the air. Right. Yeah. It's all <laughs> done while they're flying around. And then the females can lay up to a thousand eggs, but they can actually keep these eggs kind of stored up until the conditions are right to lay them. Yeah, and they actually mate, I think she said, up to five times. So they can have five, I don't know, packets of eggs ready to yeah. lay by the time she finds a place that she wants to lay them. Apparently only 10% survival rate on these eggs. And they're dependent on milkweed for the larvae for the caterpillars to eat. And unfortunately, milkweed by some people's definition is you know, something. A weed. Yeah, you want to yeah. get rid of it. And so there is a huge decline in the population of these monarch butterflies. Right. So when you're getting ready to plant your garden this year, plant some milkweed. Yeah, especially if you live near Hismo Beach. <laughs> you know, that was fun walking around. I mean, talk about serendipity. We find this place. And then on the other side of the sand dunes is the beach. And yeah. so we climb over the sand dunes and there's the beach. And you can hear it at night, you know, with the windows open and the trailer and that's one of Peggy's favorite that's things. That's my thing. Yeah, I like to, I'm not necessarily a person to go sit on the sand of the beach or go in the water, but I love the sound of the waves. Yes, she does. And so you could hear them clearly with the, with just like we had that little hatch over the bed open. Yeah. And you could hear the, the waves crashing you in the, the distance. Ocean. So nice. And the, the people, the ranger there, she was terrific. And it was a lot of friendly campers, so we, we can't say enough about I mean, we really want to go back again soon just because it was such a great campground and such a neat experience. Right. And cinnamon rolls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, you go on your phones when you're traveling and you're like, what's the best of this or that? So we're looking around and we found this place called Old West Cinnamon Rolls. And Old, Old West Cinnamon Rolls was just this place that had been around, I think, since the 70s or whatever. And that's what they sell, cinnamon rolls. and Such good cinnamon rolls. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. So they have, of course, the regular old cinnamon roll, which are fantastic. But I had a maple bacon cinnamon roll. And I had oh. a walnut and raisin cinnamon roll. They were, they were so good. And raisins They're are so, so wrong on anything. <laughs> Well, I actually, when I picked it, I thought they were blueberries and I was like, oh, that sounds good. And then I realized they were raisins, which I love. And that was yeah. fine with me too. So they're not, it's like every cinnamon roll is the same cinnamon roll. And then it's the toppings are what make them different. So it wasn't like baked in all those things. They're the topping of the cinnamon roll. Yeah. And it was, and their coffee was outstanding too. And I like good, strong coffee. If I can get the spoon to stand up in it, <laughs> now we're talking, but seriously, it was, it was great. Even the coffee was great. So what a neat experience. And they do have Wi-Fi, So we sat for a while and caught up on all our social garbage necessities <laughs> in life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, we almost went back the second day, but then we had the camper and it was a little harder to park. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, how many cinnamon rolls can you eat? And and I don't. Oh, know don't if, even ask. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, you, at some point, you just got to go. Uh, if I stand on the scale and it says one at a time, please, we have a problem. Well, then we're done. Yeah. So that was Hismo Beach. Go there. It's it's so nice. Yeah. The people were nice. It's a, There is a really cool woody car show there every year and you can see that on curbside.tv there's a great car show calendar there right and it's only about i think 10 or 15 miles from st louis obispo so we've talked about that i think episode 11 was st louis obispo and we talked about all the great things to do there we didn't do any of those this time because we were too excited exploring pismo beach instead yeah neat little walking town great people and Beautiful campground and 25 bucks a night. I mean, you can't be. I love a deal. I, yeah. 
I am so all over great deals, and yeah. that was one. The next night we paid $52 for one night. <laughs> yeah. Well, we that, we talked about that last week for a parking lot next to where they keep the boats. Yeah. Where there's that weird sailor guy with a tattoo in the spinach. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so big, you know, it was night and day, but that's okay. So if you want to catch up on the stuff that we like doing in San Luis Obispo, uh, episode 11 of this podcast has that. Right. So look for that. It's here on the website. And speaking of the website, uh, that's where you can find all the episodes of this podcast, but also discounts and deals. And I said I love a deal, and I do work with these manufacturers and different providers of products and services that we actually use and enjoy to offer deals to you. Right. So you can find those on discounts and deals. Um, You can find us in all the usual social places. Uh, Start at StresslessCamping.com, and from there, you can jump off and find us anywhere in the social world that you are. Right. Uh, If you don't want to miss a future episode of Stressless Camping, it's free to subscribe on any podcast app. We're saving you a seat around our virtual campfire, so come on down, subscribe, and that way you don't miss out. And if you're there already on those podcast apps, a review will help others find this podcast. We would be very grateful for that. Yes, because the more listeners we have, the better the guests we can continue to get. (laughs) And that means you get a better podcast. So isn't that cool how that all works out? Sweet. You're just helping yourself. All right. Thank you very much again for coming along with us to Pismo Beach and listening to the RV electricity. Hopefully it wasn't too shocking a subject for you. Gosh, (laughs) It's almost over, folks. (laughs) Oh, man. And oh, oh, there's Larry. I I think he's waving. No, here he comes. Well, everybody. Happy happy camping. camping. We hope you enjoyed this week's adventure. Time to get out on your own journey. Don't forget to leave the review on your favorite podcast app. And visit StresslessCamping.com for photos, stories, an RV calendar, and more. I'm Stressless Camper Larry Richardson wishing you happy camping.